My guest today is Patrick Vlaskowitz. Patrick is the CEO and co-founder of Superpowered, a company that was acquired just last year by Splice. Patrick is also a three-time author, including two New York Times bestsellers, Lean Entrepreneur and Hustle, and one of the first books that I've read and love on customer development, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I've been following the progress of Superpowered for years. I think it's a really interesting company, really interesting technology. Maybe we can start there. So what was the original idea for the company and how did Superpowered come together? So the the origin in the of the idea is actually with my co-founder Gabor Santo. Gabor's a Hungarian. Uh, he lives uh, near Budapest. Okay. My my uh, my family's Hungarian. I, um, I'm I'm American, but my yeah. my my parents are Hungarian. I speak the language, um, okay. and so every summer, not every summer, but usually every summer, we go back and visit relatives and have fun. And uh, about seven years ago, Gabor and I were introduced. And uh, by a VC in Hungary, uh, I was sort of between projects. Gabor had been um, had been talking to some of these VCs about some of the t- technology had been working on, and then they said, "Like we need, we know this guy's technically very capable. Uh, he needs to have, uh, you know, he's the hacker. We need a hustler." And so, Gabor and I met at a Starbucks in Budapest, and then we um, he kind of described to me what he felt or kind of what he sensed. And basically, it was that there were um, there was a big shift happening in the audio space, where uh, all sorts of tools and apps that had been available on laptops, so desktop grade processors, were now moving to mobile. Okay. And uh, so this is back in 2013, and the, I guess the iPhone is about five years old at this time. Yeah, 2007, I think. Yeah, some of that. And uh, but he said, look, there's still a lot to be still the most most of the audio algorithms, most of the audio processing infrastructure was designed for desktop environment, meaning uh, the, the assumption is that there's an x86 processor, there's always power, ergo, it doesn't need to be that resource efficient. Whereas if you look at the mobile devices, they're all ARM uh, processors, much more resource efficient, and of course, power is always an issue when it comes to, to mobile devices. And Gabor had basically uh, been experimenting and building with a sort of a new um, way to derive audio algorithms and all uh, and very computationally intensive audio algorithms uh, for ARM processor, and he had figured out a lot. And so we took his um, and I and I, I I also agreed with him that I saw this I saw what he was talking about, and we took his vision for um, creating basically again sort of a new paradigm, a new library for 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 uh, audio transformations, processing, you know, all the typical audio stuff uh, and bringing it to ARM. And we generalized a solution that he had come up with and then brought it to market. And then seven years later, we were acquired. That's awesome. So what what initially attracted you personally, like in the, the project, like why, why did what convinced you that this had a potential? Good question. So, well, two things. One is Gabor is a really special guy, really talented guy. And when we spoke, we spoke both Hungarian and English to each other. Okay. And then, um, and then I asked him, you know, where did you learn your English? And he goes, well, I learned it by watching uh, uh, like friends and like YouTube. Because <laughs> at the time, he couldn't afford English lessons. So, but he he knew that there was a lot of technical information locked up in English language uh white papers like at stanford and mit so he could download them kind of figure out some of the math on them 
but couldn't read them. And so he basically taught himself English so he could download technical papers uh, to to get to get his own technology better. And so uh, and so that really I, I thought that was really compelling in terms of a guy who's a hustler who's trying to yeah. push forward who doesn't give up. Uh, so that I thought that was pretty cool. And I liked the fact that we were in a very technical space. I thought that was very interesting, kind of a moat. In retrospect, the one mistake, or we made many mistakes, but one mistake we made, made, this audio space is a tiny space, really. It's really a small space. And our TAM was really small in a lot of ways. Uh, and so one mistake I think we made is not early on, we should have expanded the library to image processing as well, because you can use some of the same okay. algorithms for in audio processing to image processing. We should have done that earlier. Uh, we never actually never did that, but we should have done that, and we should have done it earlier. Um, uh, so that I think was a mistake because the our small TAM really uh, really limited us a lot of ways. You're saying that that friends actually taught someone to you to, to read <laughs> technical exactly. papers. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. So so how did you go about figuring out like who specifically the technology would be best for initially, like and what the core value was. Initially, it was initially it was actually so. This is a really interesting story. So initially, it was look better performance, um, uh, better performance in this case meaning lower latency and 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 um, and uh, less power. What's interesting that story, like that sort of our marketing positioning and that story, why we think that's important. To be honest with you, for the first three years, three four years, it didn't really. People saw it, they got it. They're like, oh, cool, I get it. Like. Okay, like, but they weren't really um, thinking about this at the time. So we were actually a little bit too ahead of the market. Okay, which is very painful because you you meet with customers, they go cool, they nod, but they don't really sign up. Um, so that's very difficult. But then around three year three four five, I guess year four, the people started coming to us and going, hey, do you guys have? like low power resource efficient technology that runs well on arm and we're like well yes we do <laughs> and so the so the, the gap between where we were and the, where the market was actually started started closing um but but initially it was and then and then we also figured out that a large part of value too was that a lot of developers were building cross-platform apps so deploying apps to android ios even sometimes windows et cetera, et cetera. and if you could build a like our value is really about if you're going to build cross-platform apps and you want one audio code base from which to work, we had like we're a really good choice because not there's there's other cross-platform sort of audio engines, but we are cross-platform and we're very performant, okay. which is very rare, right? Okay. Um, and so uh, that was a big and I always and on sales calls I always tell people I said look if you're just going to do an iOS app and you don't need anything special just use the, the native iOS uh, APIs that are free. You're better off that way but if you're doing ios and android then like there's certainly value if you're doing ios android and anything else then you should definitely use us and so um being able to again not just be cross-platform but, but be very highly performant in all those and especially android android is quite frankly a mess when it comes to audio um uh, that was a big big value proposition for us but if, if you're saying like you were ahead of the market and you guys for the first three years people necessarily like not everybody got it. Like, how did you know, how did you guys know that this was the right positioning or the right way to, to like the right value to put forth? We did, I think we were in some senses, we were wrong. I mean, I, I'm not sure what we would have done differently because the, 
this is how if you compared to the current offerings if you turn if you compare this to the current offerings that was that was our sort of positioning is that we were designed for arm and we were much better but it's really hard to sell on performance um uh one thing we learned though is like positioning around android android is like was we we knew android was a mess before we got into as we started selling but android is like even worse than we had even imagined <laughs> okay so that was that actually that part of the position worked well we actually released a lot of content around android and audio latency in fact one thing that we did that worked really well is we named a problem so there's this audio latency problem in, in android and a lot of developers felt this problem so they were trying to make low latency apps um interactive apps and their bosses would say hey this the latency is not low enough what's going on here and, and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't make it work on android and then we actually did investigate we figured out what was sort of wrong with the android um uh um subsystems and we wrote this long 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 uh, post about this like why this is happening why it's important why we how we would fix it uh and we called it android's 10 millisecond problem Okay, and, and now that phrase android's 10 millisecond problem is now like it's it's used like i've had complete strangers tell me about android's 10 millisecond problem <laughs> and, and so in terms of like a little marketing trick if you could find an unfelt or unfulfilled need in a space uh that your company can help solve even naming the problem can be a tremendous value right because they feel this like nebulous thing like oh android has this thing and you say no 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 it's called Android's 10 millisecond problem. And here's why it exists, A, B, C, D, you know, E, right? And here's how to solve it. And, I'm, and, and I think more and more, more and more startups especially should take advantage of the ability of, to, to articulate and name a problem their customers have and, and build credibility and, and quite frankly, build revenue that way. So at the time, like how conscious was that effort, like of trying to name it and trying to like, kind of owned it, the, the, uh... it was conscious. It was definitely conscious because I'm a writer. And so, so, so I definitely saw that, uh, you know, th there's tons of writers that have done this for other things outside of yeah. startups. Yeah. And so like, uh, you know, um, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule. And there's a bunch of these little phrases that get associated with writers. Right. And naming like, uh, it was, it was certainly conscious and it worked well. It, do it doesn't always okay. work, but it, but when it works, it works well. So, so in a way you are kind of selling the problem to some extent, or like at least like putting it in a way that articulating it in a way that people could, could relate to. Yeah. I, I know what that is. Like, that's the problem. And then you put the solution in relation to the, the, I mean, that's basically the basis of all storytelling and humor is that there's some problem that needs to be examined. And then, and, and then, and so you got to sort of front load it with the problems typically first. And then the solution is after, right? And that and that's pe how people tell stories and, and and jokes. And I think content marketing, successful content marketing, is also very similar. Where especially for us, where we're doing a lot of low volume searches but very high intent. So if you were googling Android audio latency, uh, or or terms around it, like you definitely want to, you should definitely be looking at our stuff. Okay. And you probably should be on the phone with us, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, so how did you go about figuring out like how to bring super power to market? Like you have this technology, you know, it works, you have an idea of what the value is. Like, how'd you figure out the next step of how to. 
Um, next up, I mean, I had done a lot of uh, digital marketing before and I was pretty good at, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, next up is sort of natural SEO and content marketing, a very natural next, next steps where you have developers searching for solutions. Um, and so building real content, so not content that ranks, but actually again, solves problems. So we did quite a bit of that, uh, is, is very powerful. And we like, we, and people would tell us when they get on a sales call, like they're like, I've read every page on your blog. I'm like, all right, good, good. So, uh, uh, and so, uh, in fact, one time we we outranked Android, like in <laughs> Google for like certain terms. I'm not kidding you. I don't know if we still do, but there was a time when we were getting a lot, like a good amount of traffic on on Android related audio terms, uh, and we were getting a lot of links and a lot of people writing about us, uh, and we were outranking Android itself. It was great. Okay. And so, so how did you know that? content would be the right way to to uh because developers are, are, are they're always googling for answers for stuff so they're always okay. whether it's okay. like code snippets or how to think about i mean it's it's, it's just really developers are always looking for answers uh, to their problems and so especially you know the more specific right like some like i remember seeing a startup i helped consult with they looked at their 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 um, their search and they figured out that they, they were getting a lot of traffic on like a very specific error code that only their software is throwing. So it was like, <laughs> you know, whatever, X Y Z four 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 five five four, and they were getting like a thousand searches a month on that. And then and it really really wasn't leading anywhere. So we told them like you should build a page optimized for this search that helps either the developers answer the question or lead them into a funnel or both. Right. Yeah. And so same thing for superpowered uh, SEO and SEO and, and content market very strong for us. So kind of figure out what questions people are asking and then sort of creating landing pages slash content pieces that help drive. Yeah. And the... so actually I'll give you one tip for one really good way to, I mean, this is, and I don't know why people don't do this more often is uh, in fact, I advised this to a company that was just acquired by a friend of mine, your support tickets have so much fucking information in them. And if you like take them out, clean them up, you could build just like reams of good content uh, at a relatively low cost because you have a question or questions and then your support person has typically already answered the question, right? And so, you know, generally speaking, you, you can just export it, depersonalize it, make a few tweaks, generalize it a bit. And you have this whole realm of high quality, very specific content that, that you can basically publish for very low cost as a knowledge base or 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 even as blog posts and um and and also understanding like looking at your support like if you actually look at your support like i i log in our support every day and and i can basically tell like another thing i've talked about on on sort of marketing lectures is based on the questions asked i can tell a lot about that person who's asking the question whether they have budget or they don't have budget or things that they're not even set telling to us. And so I think it's always important to keep your finger on the pulse and support. But early on, if you're the CEO or if you're product, like don't just leave support. Don't let just don't just go, okay, there's a support function that's sort of siloed. Like make sure you're in there understanding, you know, what people are asking for and why. And it can be a, a channel to to uh, not only derive, you know, new 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 product features, et cetera but also to, to, uh, you know, cross sell into, and, and there's just ton of, ton of data there. Yeah. It's crazy. How many people use support as a cost center when, like you said, like there's so much stuff you could do with support content itself. 
Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, like, you, it just takes a little time to build the, that uh, flow. But 100% that, like, so it is sort of a cost center, depending how you're set up. But 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 you definitely should be double downing on uh, and figuring out what's going on. And do not just let it be, like, this again, this one company that was just acquired that I advised, they their support was, like, complete silo away, like, had nothing to do with product uh, engineering had nothing to do with marketing had nothing to do with um and it, there was just so much good data in there uh that they could have exploited and, and used but they hadn't made up their mind to do that hmm. so so once you guys figure out like this is the model so like we're using content to drive people in and then we're trying to get them to 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 buy uh uh to, to use our sdks so that they use uh either cross cross platform or for one specific like how much focus did you guys put on that that specific model itself? Like, how long did you guys remain focused on that portion itself before trying to expand the uh, expand your TAM as you were talking talking about? Yeah, well, so the the what was interesting with us is uh, I'll kind of indirectly answer this question. One challenge with us was too is that the uh, the competition was the de facto competition. There's a lot of open source stuff that that's quote unquote free. It's not actually free because it takes longer to use. It's not nearly as good. Yeah, it's free. You don't pay for it. But most open source stuff out there is like terrible. And I know that's not very, very popular to say. And I'm not saying there isn't good open source software. There certainly is. But most of the open source audio stuff out there is terrible. It's not supported. And so, so, but you still have this sort of free, you know, thing. So people go, well, so-and-so is free. Why should we pay you? And, and uh, so you have to kind of walk them through into, well, you know, we are like a living, like a going concern. We're living, breathing. We continue to upgrade. We're doing this, this, and this. This is on the roadmap. We have support. And if you actually did the math, like, yeah, you wouldn't lay out as much cash for the open source stuff, but your time spent trying to figure it out and trying to support it would be, you know, a lot higher. So, so understanding that, understanding how to sell there, um, and then also figuring out pricing where some people were like, a lot of people were doing these perpetual licenses. And we did actually a few of those in the beginning. We're like, okay, you pay us a few grand and you use it forever. And then we just, it, it just, it didn't work. It just wasn't working when you tried a bunch of different things like, okay, well, can we scale with users? And then people say, hey, you want to do rev shares with us? And none of them really worked, to be honest with you. So like the rev share doesn't work because they're not really making, anybody who really kind of offers you rev share typically isn't making money at that point. <laughs> and then there's this whole audit requirement and people don't want to do that. And it's, it can be really tough. Um, that didn't really work. Um, the user stuff didn't work because people felt like they were being um, punished for success. And then, so we just had to make a decision to say, look, we're gonna do this sort of tiered pricing uh, where it's a fixed price per year. Uh, it lets us, it's annually recurring SaaS. Uh, it lets us continue to invest into the software and, and any of our clients get the benefit of it. Right and 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 uh, let us grow the company, and that actually was sort of a minor innovation in it as, in and of itself because the audio software, the audio processing software, was not being sold like that at the time. Most of it was was again, there's a lot of open source stuff. There's a lot of perpetual license stuff, um, and um, and so and then also we 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 position ourselves as a premium product because that's what we are, um, and. The biggest thing also, I think, is we learn how to identify people. So when I sell, I always look for fit, 
right? Between right. our yeah, yeah. solution, their problem and their company and their budget. And one thing, and I tell anyone who's doing early stage company, the sooner you figure out who you cannot serve and then learn how to identify them in your funnel and then help them find another solution, the better you are. Because I call those people the anti-segments. The anti-segments are fucking deadly. They waste your time. They're never happy. You can literally cannot make them happy. It's just, not, it's just a misfit. It's a fundamental misfit. And even if they want your stuff, it doesn't like, like for example, for us, um, one of our weaknesses was we didn't have really good documentation. Like we knew we didn't have great documentation. We knew you had to be of a certain level developer to get a lot of value out of us. Uh, for us, it was a resource constraint question. It was, well, if you have resources, do we develop more cool software or do we develop documentation? And 99% of the time we said, we're going to do more software, right? And so we, this is a, admittedly a weakness. And this is something I would even say on the calls. I'm like, look, our documentation is not great. If you, if you have, if you've got a developing team that has heavy documentation requirements, it's, we're probably not a good fit for you, right? Um, it's not that we didn't have any, but we just didn't have any sort of long form narrative type. Yeah. And so, you know, early on, we had made the mistake of selling to people where, who just need a lot of handholding and then you give them the handholding and they still messed up and, and they just weren't happy. And so now part of the sales process, and this has been going on like this for a while is, and I think any good salesperson will tell you this, is you identify them, you figure out there's a fit. If there's not a fit, you gently take them out of the, you know, you push them out and say, hey, I don't think we're a good fit for you. Here's why. Uh, I think you should go here, here, and here. Um, and and kind of and, and as gently and diplomatically uh, push them away because if they get in there, they can make life hell for your team. They give you bad information, not because they want to give you bad information, but just because they're trying to fulfill their own personal needs like anyone else. And so understanding who your anti-segments are, who your segments are, who you can really help, the sooner you can do that, it takes a while, you're gonna have to iterate a while, but the sooner you can do that, the like the the more powerful your growth engine can become. Well, so 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 to that that end, like how do you differentiate like what should be an anti-segment versus a, a growth or an expansion opportunity? Like like you, the same thing you could have said, like we were gonna improve all our, our uh, well, yeah, so I'll give you make it better. And one example is, like I said, you need to, you need to be a, like a decent developer uh, to use our technology. And that's not like, I'm not just saying this as a bragging point. We knew that we were limiting ourselves because not having documentation, like we understood this, but at the same time, you had to be like a, like a kind of a, a competent developer. Uh, and uh, it just was, it was really tough for beginners. And so identifying people early on either the way they're asking questions or how they're asking them and then literally saying, Hey guy, like, we don't think we're a good solution for you. We think that, you know, this competitor over here is a better solution for you. So that's one, um, you know, budget as well was another one where we had a lot of people, a lot of really huge companies that, you know, and uh, you've heard of huge, huge, huge companies, massive companies come to us. We closed a number of deals that were very lucrative. That was great too. We also had these big companies that were like, hey, we're a huge company. We're a monster in this space. Uh, because we're a huge company, we want your stuff free. <laughs> Maybe we'll let you talk about it. And initially we're like, you know, very flattered. And, and it's really, you know, it's, it's really flattering when you talk to like, a, you know, a, a, you know, a managing director at one of these big companies, they have a huge, massive budget. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I can get a deal done. Learning how to say no to those guys too. 
just saying like if you don't have budget for us that's fine but when you're not getting our stuff for free because uh it just doesn't make sense and and, it, and um you know sometimes you know getting logos does make sense but for our case um a lot of times they wanted to pull us into these projects use our technology at scale and have it supported and but like not write us a check and there's a few companies i'm not going to name them but there's a few companies are famous for doing this okay trying okay. to bully young companies into helping yeah, them yeah. because they're just massive and it can be very again at the, at the in the moment you're like wow man if if those companies did use us we would be in you know 100 million devices overnight and we could tell people that and it's a it's a famous device that everybody has in their homes um uh, uh but it was it was just uh we just had to learn how to say no to those people and 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 that's another thing too i'd advise as well with any any early stage startup figure out how to say no and 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 not chase every opportunity i mean don't get me wrong i chased a lot of opportunities uh, I, um, I choose a lot of opportunities and I don't regret even the ones I didn't get, but sometimes you, 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 you can, these opportunities will sort of sink you. They're not really opportunities often. Right. So, so in a sense, you're always refining like what that idea of like the right customers are 100%. That's part, partly what you, what you were mentioning, like support as well. Like that's a good way to kind of understand the patterns as well there. Okay. 100%. And so if you understand those people, you can figure out if you're fit and you can, and you'll see patterns like, like, like. You know, for example, like one of the things that we say now in sales calls, like there's a lot of, there's like these smart hobby guys, you know, Joe in the garage. Uh, we're a good fit technically for those guys, but we're not necessarily good fit uh, uh, when it comes to budget. We're just, and I tell them straight up, I say, hey, look, we see these, they, like a lot of times these are very artsy projects. Like they'll have like, uh, like, like one project was like a, a set of flying drones that were going to fly unison and play um, music and do this interactive thing. It was like this awesome robotics project some German team was putting together. They liked our software, but they're like, oh, we have zero budget. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and, 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 and it didn't work out. Right. And so a lot of times if I, if I sense there's like an artsy, artsy techno, techno project, typically we're not, we're not typically a good fit for those. Okay. Um, um, i think of what else, but, but my, my, my sort of takeaway though is uh, figure out who you're a fit for, um, make that fit, sell that fit, to provide that value, figure out like the people you aren't and, 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 you know, get move those people aside and, 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 uh, and, and help them find your competitor or another solution or whatever it is. So it's to get that focus. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like that's the, you, like you need to have the focus where there's the three or four segments that you can really value. You can identify, you can deliver value. They get it. And they know they're getting value. Uh, and and this, this, there's so much noise and you want to filter that noise out. Okay. So, so in that case, like what were the triggers that led you guys to expand from audio to websites and apps to network libraries and to uh, crypto, cryptographic libraries? Like what, when, when did you get like the inflection point where you're like, okay, so now's the right time or we should do this. Well, one thing we saw is that we, we had been doing, um, we had, when we had people taking our SDK and then integrating it with third-party networking tools, uh, like, um, uh, open SSL and things like that. Okay. And then they had, they had some trouble and they said, look, we like your stuff. Are you going to open SSL? It's not really working. And, and, and basically it was pretty simple sort of adjacent feature where it was the, Hey, 
they need to encrypt some media and then they need to send it somewhere. And we actually built some some cross-platform networking technology that basically did that because it was, it was, so this one wasn't this was almost directly from user feedback where people kept saying like hey help us do this thing because otherwise i have to pull in open ssl uh to do this and it's a big pain in the ass and that one was that was i think looking back pretty pretty uh pretty apparent pattern pretty soon um the stuff we're doing now is actually a little bit more that's speculative that's not the right word a little more out there it's really interesting though and i think it's gonna be tremendous is the WebAssembly based uh audio we're doing so uh i don't know how well you know about WebAssembly, but WebAssembly basically is the technology that's being supported by the major browser vendors right now the idea is that you can compile code to run uh, as if it were on a uh, hardware device meaning that uh, you can have really um uh, interactive low latency interaction so whether it's a game whether it's like a photoshop tool whether it's um, some sort of musical device because right now the reason we have apps the reason we use apps is basically there's a better connection between an app and the hardware device than if you went through the browser WebAssembly, in a sense is, is is changing that and if WebAssembly keeps being developed and being supported by the browser vendors you're going to see a lot of app innovation developers move back to the web and there's a number of reasons. One, first and foremost, is economic, right? So like, yeah. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, Fortnite launched on Google Play, or did not launch on Google Play. They launched an Android app, but not on Google Play. And someone asked the CEO of Fortnite, like, oh, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, there's 50 million reasons why I did that, right? <laughs> so there's the, there's the, and they call it economic efficiency, but basically you make more money, right? So think about if you had a franchise like Photoshop or what have you, or, uh, and, and you had to, you know, send thirty percent or uh, to Apple, right? Yeah, for every year, yeah. like you'd be looking as soon as you could figure out a way to to not do that, you you would do that, right? Yeah, but there was a case this year with uh, Basecamp. We were like, uh, they were complaining about that thirty percent. They got mm -hmm. up to like management at Apple and all that stuff. Yeah, that may happen for Basecamp because those guys are smart and loud, and but that's not going to happen for the average developer. Oh, for sure, for sure. But like, there is a problem. Like, like, like you yeah, oh, no, no, yeah, for, yeah. It, it, exactly. And so. The WebAssembly stuff is interesting. So uh, we we actually built, um, uh, I think the first, maybe only, I don't know, things may have changed, but we were the first real-time time stretching in the browser, which in okay. the audio, so time stretching uh, is actually a very computationally intensive um, uh, audio algorithm. It takes a lot of CPU. And basically if you like slow down or speed up the tempo of a song, and then you also can do pitch shifting where you maintain the, the pitch so it doesn't sound weird. Mathematically, it's actually very, very, very difficult and computationally intensive to do, and and latency is critical. You have almost no latency. Okay. And we've developed it. We brought our technology to the web to do this. And actually, one of the reasons we were acquired is we showed this to the Splice guys, and the Splice guys are like, "Oh shit!" Like we thought this was like three years away. And so, and so they're building. You know, Splice is building. Um, cross-platform products basically right they want to be available on every surface there is right so with native web what have you uh and then superpower technology allows them to do that um and mm. so um it was interesting we could have probably i think gabor told me he's like man we should have launched it even earlier so we are but people are licensing it people are using it it's still early days um but i think you're going to see more and more uh, people building, you know, I think Google calls them, uh, uh, what do they call them? progressive web apps or some stuff like that. Okay. 
I think you're going to see more and more of that. What's going to be interesting to, is is what if Safari will continue to support WebAssembly. Right now it does, but if if Safari endangers the App Store yeah. revenues, yeah, then I think you're going to see a situation like like what Steve Jobs did to Flash, where where they killed Flash on Safari uh, because because of my, they said there's it was because security, yeah. but I think it was because of the interactive features. Yeah, probably the same thing. They'll find another reason to justify exactly. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right, super interesting. So so the reason why you guys went with the, that feature set or those specific feature set for, for, for web, WebAssembly, like is that because that was one of the best way to showcase the value that you guys provide? Or like, is there another set of criteria you guys were looking at for that? No, so that's a great question. So we wanted to show that the, because a big promise of our technology is how efficient it is and, and how little uh, power it uses. And anybody in the audio algorithm industry understands that 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 time stretching is really hard so like unlike reverb or or echo those aren't those aren't particularly interesting and they're not particularly computationally intensive and then time stretching like then you're basically saying hey we can do everything related to audio on the web because and when i talk about audio I, it should be clear to the audience it's not it's not i'm not just talking about like play audio pause audio what have you we're talking about interactive, interactive audio, where if you're a DJ, you're listening to the music and then you're changing the music in real time. And then, or let's say uh, you're playing a musical instrument. If there's a delay, if a delay between hearing the instrument or hearing, or even like a Skype call or a Zoom call we're on right now, if the delay were too high, uh, then it would be hard for you and I to converse. Oh, for sure, right? for sure, yeah. yeah. Right, and, and that's yeah. a common problem when you're on a Skype call and like, like, hey, blah, 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 and you keep talking over each other because yes. the latency is too high. Yes. So, um, uh, but so lowering that latency, at least on the client side, like there's not too much that we can do on the network side, right? So right now there's some latency on your computer. Uh, there's some probably some latency in your earbuds as well. Probably not a lot. Uh, there's some network latency, and then there's my computer and the computer latency. And probably the greatest latency right now is in the network. There's nothing that superpower can do about the network per se. But we can certainly drive down latency in the, and in, in the in, on the client side. But but that's, that's super interesting because like initially that was kind of what you guys saw as the core value, mm -hmm. and even like that was like a couple of years ago, like a year ago, yep. what you're talking about. Like so, even there, you're still using that core to figure out like what are the other things we can do. Well, to be fair, like audio, there's only a few you know a few character characteristics of audio that people care about. I mean, there's the subjective audio experience of anything, but there's also like, it's, it's, it's well understood that audio has to be interactive and low latency or interactive audio has to be low latency. And then, and then it's sort of like bit depth and things like that. There's only really like, you know, a handful of characteristics that are used to describe audio technology in terms of when you give it to a developer, right? So, and, and so like, you know, bit depth, you know, I guess power consumption matters to some people. Um, the subjective, like for example, Gabor tuned our time stretcher to have a, like a musicality to it. Okay, uh, that's kind of a subjective thing. Uh, some people might say that's great. Some people might say it doesn't sound good. People actually think our our time stretcher sounds really good, but there, there's a there's a fair degree of subjectivity to that too as well. Okay, okay. So back to the, the point I'm trying to make is in audio, it's you there's there there you can't really innovate too much on how it's 
judged or, or, or the parameters, right? In terms yeah. of yeah. people yeah. always going to look at the same sort of parameters and compare it to their solution, right? Yeah. I guess we innovated on pricing. Also, ease of use is another one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's super interesting. Like, I used to work at Lander. I think you guys were yeah. involved with them at some point. Um, and we would get like feedback on the mastering and you would get like the same, same mastering, same quality. Some people would think it's amazing. Other people would think it's not amazing. And you would get like that old gradient, like that, that, that gradient of like quality perception to some extent, which is, yeah, just like what you're mentioning, it's subjective. Yeah, a lot of it is, a lot of it is, and, and that can be tough. And then learning how to filter that out and proceed uh, is, is important as well. Hmm. So you mentioned in an interview, like in here for many years ago, that a startup is an exer exercise in resource constraints. I thought that was really interesting, uh, even today. I think that's still probably true. Uh, how do you recommend entrepreneurs factor in their own constraints? I don't know if I have a good like thought out recommendation, but I think 100% it's an exercise in resource constraints, right? You only have so many hours, you only have so much energy, you only have so many developers, you only have not only, you know, you only have so much money, you only have stuff that you're good at, and you just got to figure out how to make progress with what you have. Um, a few years ago, there's a lady a professor, I think in Virginia, she talked about effectuation. Yeah. And that was her big idea. And, and, that, and it was really interesting. Part of what was really interesting is entrepreneurs make do with what they have at hand, right? And I think that's a part of it too. And so in my case, Gabor hot, like is like a 100x developer, right? Like, I mean, he was like, and I'm not just saying this exaggerate or he is like more productive than like 10 dudes put together and he's obsessed about audio and he also knows chip design and hardware and audio acoustics and API design. And so, so a lot of times I would literally go like, okay, well, do we hire someone to write documentation? Do we have Gabor write documentation? Do I try to write some of it? And basically what you kind of come to is like, well, there's only one Gabor and it's just better if he produces awesome technology super fast. And then we'll figure out the documentation stuff. So like we knew we weren't like perfect, and but you know, but we had kind of had owned what we couldn't really fix. And again, time and time again, we take a break, man, we really need documentation. And we couldn't find like people, we couldn't find anyone that we trusted at a reasonable rate to, to write it for us uh, at the time. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have any, but but the big point coming back to research constraints is like, it would just be silly for like, for us to have tasked Gabor and our other developers like write a lot of documentation. Yeah. Uh, when in the same amount of time we could have you know, we have improvements on existing features and or what have you, or even build new features. No, that's a great point. It's, it's, I, really, I, it's, it's really tough. It's a really tough part of being a CEO or founder. Yeah, like just making that first determination that this is a competitive edge that we have. Yep. We have this super great developer yep. or whatever else, and we were able to do this it, is already something people don't seem to think about doing oftentimes. Yep. Yeah. So having been through the the uh, the the eyes and lows of startups several times. Uh, thoughts, thought, thought about startup, uh, world books about it, work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, what are some of the signs and signals that you feel typically indicate that the need for a pivot or a change of strategy? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> big, uh, big no, question. No. Um, uh, I mean, like, um, 
man, it's tough. It's tough to think of just really, really like easy ones. Um, Could be harder ones. I mean, like I thought, like uh, we, I think we we would have done better had we pivoted slightly and 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 gone into um, image processing. Okay. Um, I think we would. I think we'd open up a, 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 a considerably larger um, a market for us. Um, I couldn't convince Gabor. This is also sort of a resource allocation question. Yeah. Like I, it was tough for me to convince Gabor that 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 would, that would have been a smart move. Um, but I think. Um, um, let me think. This is a tough question. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see if there's something sort of like generalizable about our experience that would make sense to the listeners of this. Um, well, so you, you mentioned a few times during the interview, like how in hindsight or you're, you're, you're mentioning it as in hindsight, like having done that would have been better. Like, like are there kind of negative or instances where you're like, Oh, we spent way much, way too much time at that stage uh, waiting for X or waiting for Y. Well, one thing, we, one thing we, uh, we developed a solution to, to for OEMs to basically solve the uh, Android latency problem. And we actually demoed it uh, successfully. Uh, but we couldn't convince any of the large OEMs to 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 license it from us. And had we had I known how tough it would have been to sell into an OEM without a champion, I don't know if like like I don't know if that was the smartest move. I mean, it it, it was hot. It was a hot topic in the audio in in the audio space at the time. We had very large companies, OEMs come to us and ask for a demo. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to see that we could prove our claim. We actually got down quite a way with, um, with a, a Chinese OEM actually, okay. uh, until they switched, until they pivoted uh, radically uh, one day. And then we, we, we showed this um, solution to other um, OEMs. We could, but, and we spent a lot of time on, not only on the solution, um, um, uh, but but actually trying to sell the solution and we couldn't do it. So I don't know if that was a failure in like I don't know if that was us tilting at windmills or we just couldn't sell it or I couldn't sell it. Uh, but it was uh, that was one where looking back I was like, mm, well maybe we shouldn't have wasted time with this. Hmm. Yeah, because that kind of fits what you were mentioning before about finding like these anti segments or anti yeah exactly whatever, exactly hmm. exactly. Is there a way for founders to like kind of like quickly figure out like what those should be? Um, I think it comes down to the problem. Like I think in the 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 biggest thing when we were selling to these OEMs, uh, especially the the it was basically a lot of um, in, uh, OEMs who are producing inexpensive Android phones. Um, that I'd say at the end of the day, they didn't perceive it to be as a problem like we did. Okay. Uh, although one of them actually, one of them, we, like I said, we got down quite a, like, we got pretty far down the way with them. Um, and I think, so I guess the mistake was not, uh, verifying that, that the pain was really there. Right. Um, that, that was probably a mistake. Um, uh, but man, like we could have, like, we, I mean, literally we could have, we demo technology that would have been relatively easy to implement and you could have updated like billions of Android phones overnight and they would be real, almost real time. Uh, 
almost real time uh, audio capable, basically making them as capable as like a iOS device. Hmm. Um, and the, 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 there's multiple challenges there. One is, do they perceive that to be a problem Two, if they do, does the team think they can do it themselves? Like we ran into an, um, an OEM, they're like, oh, we can do this ourselves in the weekend if we wanted to, which is completely incorrect. <laughs> uh, and that's common when you're selling to developers. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we can do this in the weekend. Like, okay. Right. And, um, uh, that, so that's actually just one of the tough, that's like anyone who's ever sold a development tool knows this. It's, it's tough selling to developers. It's not easy. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, I don't know if it's arrogance is the right word, but there's a little bit of that like reaction or like, oh, I could have done that or like, yeah, I could, exactly. yeah. exactly. Well, super interesting. So maybe last question. So maybe more generally as a last question. So as your perspective on starting businesses evolved over the years, like how do you see B2B entrepreneurship evolving moving forward? Um, how do I see B? I mean, I think the, if anything, I appreciate now what people told us before, and I didn't appreciate as much is like, have a big TAM, which is very obvious, is like basic advice. It's like 101 where people go, Hey, make sure your fucking market's big enough. And you go, yeah, 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 whatever. And, and now you go, now looking back, I'm like, hmm, I should, we should have listened a little bit better, right? And uh, I mean, we had a good outcome, like we did fine. We had a good account, we got acquired, it was good, everything's fine. But but just having enough surface area to kind of, to and have enough shots on goal, having more shots on goal, um, I think would have been better. And I think we could have, we could have grown faster and been more successful. Um, but you know, see love Yeah, for sure. But like, is, is there a way to look at it a little bit differently where you could say like, maybe this was your beachhead market, like your entry point was that market or like, yeah, this? yeah, no, for sure. No, hundred percent too. What I liked about it initially, that it was very niche. So it's a, so exactly right though. Right. So like what I liked about it is it was so niche. It was easy to identify customers. Right. Um, yeah it was relatively easy to identify customers and then market to them in terms of building content. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Cause there's definitely benefits to that, right? Oh, tremendous, tremendous. However, the, the audio, audio is just a weird market too. Like, I don't know if I knew what I knew now, I don't know if I'd ever do like, <laughs> like audio is just a really interesting, weird, strange market as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. It has all sorts of idiosyncrasies and every industry has idiosyncrasies. Yeah. But audio is especially weird and strange. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people that really love it are really fanatical about it and are, and their lives are obsessed with it and they're, and they're great people. Uh, but it is a very different, it's very different than, than like, a, you know, the, the typical, you know, B2B SaaS tool doing accounting or marketing or what have you. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause initially, like when I stumbled on, on maybe four or five years ago, when I, I saw what you guys, what you were working on. Yeah. I was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Like, like I, like my reaction, like I'm, like I'm not, I wouldn't be a customer of, of Super Part, but I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, it's a very focused play, and it's yeah. not something that like you have sixteen thousand companies that are looking into it, like you, right. like, which kind of gives you that that uh, that headway, that ability to like gain ground on the market, which is great. On the on true, and on the other side of that, though, is you also have a lot of open, like I said, open source stuff that's not that good, mm -hmm. that draws people away. Or at least make like we've had multiple people say oh, okay we're gonna go do open source and then they they literally i'm not kidding you they came back six months later they're like okay we wasted six months on open source stuff uh <laughs> we found some budget like can we make this work right yeah. this happened multiple times um and 
and I'm sure it happens in the B2B, you know, generalized B2B world as well. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Thanks for taking the time. That's really appreciated. Um, where can people go to to learn more about your work, your 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 company, uh, every, everything? Sure. So superpowered.com is still up. We, like I said, we were applied, acquired by Splice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at PV. So Patrick Vlaskovitz. Early uh, days. Uh, what's that? Early day and ill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm on LinkedIn, Patrick Vlaskovitz. If you guys want to, if someone wants to send me an email, Vlaskovitz at gmail.com. Just my Perfect. last name as it's spelled. So. I'll add all, all those links to the, the post and thank you for taking the time. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.